You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning. Thank you, sir. How's everybody? Wonderful. All right. Let me see. I don't normally do a show of hands. I want a show of hands. How many people did their homework last week and prayed all week, every day, but didn't ask for anything? That's pretty sad. Really? That's it? Okay. We tried. Okay. All right. How many people tried to pray last week without asking anything? That's a lot better. It's hard, isn't it? Did it prove the point that I was trying to make? Because the point that I was trying to make is not that we shouldn't ask God for stuff. We should. The Bible says that in James. And we'll talk about that probably next week. So it's not that we shouldn't ask. The problem is, and what I wanted that example to show you, was the fact that that's all we ever do is ask for stuff. So one of the things that helped me when, I was, when God was teaching me over the years about prayer and that kind of thing, one of the things that helped me to get past that old habit of always asking for stuff, was when I realized that I really didn't know what to ask for anyway. Just like with the volleyball story that I told you last week, I just about made a big mistake. Now, later on, a few years later, I did get to play volleyball at the national level and did get to travel around and play at the USVBA A level. And so I actually ended up getting to do what I was asking God to do. He opened that door for me later But had I got that prayer answered when I wanted it answered, those girls would have never gone to heaven. As far as I know, I was the only chance. That's the last time I got to talk to them. So it was very important. And then that scared me because then I start thinking, what if I'd have missed that? That was huge to me. That was a big deal. What if I would have missed that? So then I began to think, well, if I don't know what to even ask for, then I have got to be very, very careful when I go to God and ask Him for stuff. Let me give you a few examples. <clears throat> These are real examples. These are people that I know or know of. Um, one of them was a friend of mine. She worked in a, a factory around here, a large factory. And she was, this was several years ago, so she was actually in charge of all the PCs, worked on all the PCs. And uh, she had been there for, I don't know, 10 years maybe. And her boss quits or retires or something. And so she's excited because now she gets to maybe get a raise and and be over the department or whatever. But they didn't hire her. She only had a two-year degree. So they hired somebody from the outside that had a four-year degree and brought them in. And she had to train them. So she had to train her boss how to do the job. That's not fair. And that lasted a few years. And that boss quits and gone. So now she's thinking, this is my chance. And again, they go out. They hire somebody with a four-year degree and bring them in. And she has to train another boss. She ended up training three bosses. And another company has offered her a job, kind of a standing offer, kind of one of those things where we know how valuable you are and we would like for you to come work for our company. However, she's been at this job now for 15, 17, something like that, years. She knows it. It's a big company. It's very solid. And the company that's wanting her is a smaller company, not a lot smaller, but smaller and there's rumors going around that they may not be as solvent. So she comes to me and she says, I need you to help me pray about this. I don't know what's best. And I said, the best thing that you could have said was that you don't know what's best. Because you don't know the future. Only God knows the future. 
And I said, the problem that you're going to have is getting out of that mode of saying, well, this job has this benefits and this benefits and this benefits, but this job holds this benefits and this And you're doing this whole scale thing. Forget the scales. You don't know the future. Ask God what he wants you to do. And she almost reluctantly took the other job. She moved away from the company that she had all that time invested and she had all that security and she went to this new job nervous about what's going to happen and what happens if they're fold and, and all, what happens if the rumors and they declare bankruptcy. Almost immediately, they realized what her potential was. Almost immediately, they started giving her raises and advances. She got six promotions in six months. By the time she had been there nine months, she was over two departments in two different companies and reporting directly to the vice president. That one turned out great. She didn't know that going in. There's another one example, and you guys may know him. He's a kind of a small uh, preacher down in Georgia called Charles Stanley. You've probably heard of him a little bit here and there. He tells a story about when he was moving to First Baptist of Atlanta. And so he had already been preaching some, and, and he was moving to Atlanta, and they were having to live with his wife's parents. Uh, that's just, you know, uncomfortable. Um, but they had to do that for a while till they could find a house. So they go house hunting. Now, they don't have a whole lot of money yet, and he's just starting at this church, and, and he's got the one thing that he said was his dream. If I could just have a library... Because by this time, he has amassed a great deal of books, some of which are one of a kind and that kind of thing. And, and they're in boxes and, and it's, it's all kinds of study guides and resources. And, and he's, I love to have, by this time, they've already got, you guys have heard of Andy Stanley. That's his son. And I think, they had a, I think they had a second child. And they really wanted them to have a bedroom, but they also wanted him to have a library. They looked for three months. They, for three months, they lived with her parents in a very uncomfortable situation. Not that the parents weren't nice. It's just that when you're grown up and you're an adult and you've got your own two kids, living with mommy and daddy's just kind of not cool. Anyway, they finally, after three months, they finally found a house that was perfect. It's exactly what they wanted. Uh, he had, there was even a downstairs room that they were going to make the library because he could study down there and it'd be nice and quiet and that kind of thing and the kids could be upstairs. And, and so they went to try to buy the house and God said, no. And they said, but this is perfect. We've looked, for three months, we've looked. This is the only one we found that is, is really what we want. God said, don't do it. And him, being a wise man, knew to listen to God more than common sense. And he didn't buy the house. Which means that that night they go back and stay with mother-in-law and father-in-law. Right? Which is uncomfortable. And then they keep looking for houses. They keep looking for houses. This goes on for two more months. Now, at this point... They are just so uncomfortable. Have you ever been in that point in your life where you're so uncomfortable in your situation and you're, you're asking God to deliver you? You're asking God to help you with this situation? You're asking God for just plan B, just anything other than the situation that I'm in? And your situation gets such that just about anything, you think anything's better than where you're at? You ever been there? That's kind of where he was at? Just, but, he, but there's a part of him that just said, I, I've got to listen to the will of God. But let's go back and look at that house one more time. Because, I mean, that's the only one that we've really found. This is, now they're five months into this search, and they really can't find it. They either can't afford it, or it's not big enough, or they don't, it doesn't have the library, or, or whatever. And so they go to look at the house one more time. And the basement, this is in an uncommonly rainy season of Atlanta. This house had never had a wet basement, and now the basement's two foot underwater. 
and the mold is all the way up the wall, and the room that he would have had his library with all of his manuscripts and one-of-a-kind books was ruined. He would have lost, he would have lost everything. And he said that's one of those times in life that we thanked God for unanswered prayers. Because they were begging God to give them that house. They just wanted out of the situation that they were in. And anything's better. But, but they, were, they were smart enough to listen to God. Had another guy who's a friend of a friend. I don't actually know him personally, but he was a salesman for a furniture company. And a lot of times your income in a furniture company is uh, based on how big your territory is and how much you can sell in that territory. And so he had paid his dues. He'd been at this company for a long time, uh, waiting for a bigger, better territory to open up. Finally, after... Several years, he gets his opportunity, jumps at the opportunity, has to move out west, talks to his family, but this is once in a lifetime. He's going to double his salary. And he was already making what I think is a crazy salary anyhow compared to a screen printer. He was making a big salary. He's going to double that. Moves out west, buys a big house, puts this house on the market, moves his family out there. He's there 90 days, just under 90 days. His company is bought out by another company who does the same thing that his company does. And they said, there's no sense in us duplicating our sales forces, so we're going to fire everybody on this sales force and just keep ours. Due to no fault of his own, he loses his job. He's got a house back here in North Carolina that he can't sell and can't afford. He's got a house out there that he can't sell and can't afford and doesn't have the money now or a company to help move him back home. What looked like was going to be his dream, what he had worked for for years, crumbles. In his hands. What's the point of that? The point is, sometimes we see things in life that look like they would just be awesome. That's exactly what I want. And it's a disaster. There's things in, then there's things in our life that look like they, like they may be a disaster or that they're scary and we're afraid to step out and, and, and we feel like God's telling us to do that or go there or move there or take that job and we're afraid to. And that's where your future is at. Because God knows the future, and we don't. Once I begin to understand that, and you guys all know, we could, we could go all day, and you guys could all stand up, and everybody in here could give me an example of the exact same thing. I thought this was going to be a disaster, turned out to be the best thing in my life. I thought this was going to be the best thing in my life, turned out to be a disaster. Right? Does everybody not know stories like that in their own lives? So when I began to realize that, it began to help me in my prayer. Because if I don't know what the future holds... If I don't know what's best for me, then I realize I don't even know what to ask for. That helped me when I, because I was just like you, just like before last week. I was in a situation where most of my prayer time was treating God like Santa Claus, and I was constantly asking him for stuff. Then when I realized, well, you don't even know what to ask for, you better be very careful what you ask for because you might get it. <laughs> then I began to say, wait a minute i got to rethink this. I don't think I even understand what prayer is. And that began my journey that's ultimately leading us to here today. We don't even know what to ask for. Matter of fact, Romans 8, 26 and 27 says this. Likewise, the Spirit. Now, if you'll notice that the word Spirit has a capital S, that means the Holy Spirit. If it has a little s, that means the Spirit that lives inside of us. Likewise, the Holy Spirit... Also helped our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit itself, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He talks to God in a way that we, don't even, we would not even be able to understand. And He searches the hearts and He knows what's in the mind of the Spirit because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
The Bible is even telling us that the, that the Holy Spirit has to, to go before the throne of God on our behalf because we, as humans, don't even know what to ask for. We, we, can, we know where we've been. We know pretty much where we're at. And we think we know where we want to go. But the problem is, we don't know anything past where exactly where we live right now. We don't know anything about the future. You don't even know what's going to happen in the next half an hour. Right? I remember going home from college one time. And it was late at night, 1, 1.30, something like that. Uh, dark, I was hungry, and I was tired. And I'm headed home. <clears throat> And we lived, at that time, we lived in Indiana, and there's a bunch of lakes, and, and I'm, I, am, I am five minutes from the house, literally. And I see a detour sign. That's gonna, and it's going to take me, I know where it's going, it's going to take me all the way around the lake, which is going to take me another 20 minutes to get home. So I stop there in the middle of the road, because it's, no, it's 1 o'clock in the morning, ain't nobody behind me. I stop, turn my high beams on. <laughs> I'm looking. Far as I can see, the road is fine. Oh, don't start laughing. You know exactly. You've done the same thing. Because a lot of times they'll put these you know, detour signs up, and then you, you go around it like I did. And, and, and they've got a tractor or a backhoe or something, and you just kind of you know, go. And it's not like it's closed. you know. So I did that. Because as far as I could see, it was fine. I went around the detour sign, and I go another few miles, and I'm really close to home until I see the next sign. Bridge out. <laughs> Can't so much get around that one. So now it's dark, late, I'm hungry, and now I'm ill. And I'm even further behind because now i got to backtrack all the way back to the first sign. And when I get to the first sign, just to make me just a little bit... Somebody had took a spray can and spray painted a smiley face on the back of the sign as if to say, told you. <laughs> so I go around the smiley face. And now I still have to go all, I still have to go all the way around the lake to get home. And sometimes it's funny, you know, God doesn't always talk to me as much on the mountaintops as he does in the valleys or in the going up and the coming down. And, and I was ill kind of that night, um, kind of at myself and sort of at the situation, I guess. And God said, you know what? It's just like that with me. Uh, what do you mean? He said, it's just like that with me. You are constantly trying to make decisions based on where you're at and what you think you can see. And you can't see past your headlights. He says, I'm in the airplane. I'm up here. I see the entire lay of the land. I not only know where you've been, and I know where you're at. I also know where you're going, where you want to end up, where I want you to end up, and all the obstacles between here and there. And I can save you a ton of time. If you'll just listen to me and pay attention. I see the lay of the land. You don't. That's when I begin to understand that I need to be spending time asking God for his will and his wisdom. And less time trying to ask him to help me accomplish my own agenda. Because see, we spend a lot of our time. And I'm convinced of this. And I think that if you guys are honest with yourselves, you'll, you'll agree. We spend a lot of our time asking God to fix what we didn't ask God for in the first place. We make decisions based on what makes sense to us at the time. And then we ask God to fix it when it all falls apart. 
we don't pray about who to marry. We marry whoever's the prettiest that we can find. That'll put up with us. We don't pray about college. We go to wherever they've got the best reputation or whoever gives us the best scholarship. We don't pray about jobs. We take whoever will pay us the most. And then how do we raise our kids? And how are we a testimony? And what should we do? Should we work at church? Or how much should we do at church? And how should we spend our money? And all of these questions that are, that are just a part woven into a part of our lives. And we don't ask God for those. We just wait till it all blows up, then we ask Him to fix it, right? Once everything falls apart, then we'll ask Him to fix it. Because we're not really... And this is, the, this is one of the key phrases that I want you to understand today. When you leave here, if anybody says, well, what do you talk about? This is one of the things that I want you to remember. This is kind of the key for everything that we'll talk about today. I want us... Since we have done this exercise and now we understand that we really don't know what the future holds. And we really don't know what's best for us. But we do have a God that we can trust. Then we need to seek Him as our first resort. Not our last resort. So many times. We make decisions based on what we can see right outside our windshield. Just as far as our headlights will reach. We make decisions on what we think is best for us. We make decisions based on what we think will get us our goals and help us to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And then when everything falls apart, then when our plans collapse, then we go to God and ask Him, beg Him to fix it. Plead with Him to fix it. To fix a situation that He didn't even want us in to begin with. But we never ask. There's so many things, I think, in our lives that, that we could avoid if we would spend time with God, having Him lead us. But instead, we choose to live life what I call the Braille method. You know what the Braille method is? I'll give you an example. I'll give you a perfect example of the Braille method. I used to race motorcycles, um, you know, the, the sport bike kind, or people call them crotch rockets or whatever, on paved roads. That's what we, we raced. We, we, we drove all over the nation uh, and did that for eight years. And I was having one particularly eventful uh, weekend in West Virginia, which, by the way, has a lot of potholes. I'll tell you why I know that in a minute. And I had a horrific crash. It was probably the worst crash of my, uh, of my eight-year career. Uh, separated my shoulder, broke several ribs, tore my knee out, and that kind of thing. And I, and I don't do painkillers, so I was dealing with all this without painkillers because I just don't like them. And, um, so, and my wife, who... I don't know, some of y'all know our big red t-shirt van. You've seen it. It's a big 15-passenger van. She hates driving it, but she can. It's no big deal. But then we had a 20-foot trailer, and she wasn't about to drive the van with the trailer. So my mechanic says, I'll, I'll drive you home. So they patch me up as best they can, and they load me in the back of the van. And we're going down the road. Now, that big old van has very little suspension. It rides like a buckboard wagon anyhow. You can just about run over a quarter and tell whether it was heads or tails. I mean, it's rough. Now, you add a 10,000-pound trailer to the back of it, and it rides like a plank. I mean, so here I am laying in the back. This is where the potholes in West Virginia come in. There's lots of potholes in West Virginia. And every time I'd hit one, it'd take my breath away with broken, shattered ribs and stuff, like, and collarbone. Um, every time we'd hit something... It just bring me to, almost to tears. Meanwhile, my mechanic, who's extremely tired because I worked him hard all weekend, <laughs> is driving us home, and I'm laying in the back seat, and it's going dun 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 dun. 
Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Out of frustration, I said, what are you doing? He goes, what? I'm just driving. I said, dude, you're driving by the Braille method. I could do that from back here. He's just going till he hits the reflectors in the middle of the highway. Dun, 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 dun. Because he's half asleep. And then he comes over here till he hits those little rumble strips on the side. Brrr. I can tell you how many there are from here to West Virginia. Right here. I felt them. Every one. And you know what? That's kind of a funny story. It wasn't funny at the time. It is kind of funny today, but it wasn't at the, that day. But that's exactly how I see, because I talk to a lot of Christians about this, especially since God let me write the book and stuff, and people kind of share their stories with me. That's exactly what I see with a lot of Christians. And I'm not talking about young Christians who don't know any better. I'm talking about people who have been saved for a long time. And they think that they know where they want to go, or they have their own agenda, or they think that they know what's best for them, and they know what they want to accomplish, and they head in that direction and, and they, until they hit a wall. Well, God must not be in that. So I'll do this, and, I'll, and this, is, this must be what God wants me to do, and I'll do this plan till they hit another wall. Okay, well, God didn't want me to do that. He shut that door. He must want me over here. And you know what you're doing? You're going through life with the, by the Braille method. You are fumbling down a hallway hoping that God will close doors that you shouldn't go into so that you can bump your way down the hallway, and, the, and God will close the doors before you get there. Really, Christians, sons and daughters of the living God, do you want to live your life by the Braille method? I don't. I want God to tell me what his plan is. I want to seek him as my first resort, not my last resort. I don't want, and some of you have heard me say this before because it's one of my favorite verses, so I get to do it again. And that is in Psalms 32, 8 and 9. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you will go or should go. I will guide you with my eye. You know why? Because he's in the airplane. He gets the whole lay of the land. He sees the whole picture. He says, I'll guide you. I'll guide you with my eye, not just your eye, not just your limited vision, not just what you can see out your headlights or or out your windshield as far as your headlights go. I'll lead you with mine eye. But don't be like a horse. Or a mule. Because they don't have any understanding. They're dumb. Didn't say that because it's in the King James. But I think surely in some other thing it just says they're dumb. Don't be dumb. Because Because a mule and a horse. You have to put a bit in their mouth so that they'll come to you. Now think. Big. Powerful. Beautiful. Majestic. Horse. Not so smart. But powerful. Beautiful. Mule. Strong, hard worker. You know what you do to turn their head? You put a little piece of metal in their mouth called a bit. Because they're powerful and they want to go where they want to go. They've got their own agenda. And so they want to go. They see a filly over here in this field and they go, hey, I'll go over here. And you get that bit and you go, okay, okay, I'll stay here. That's how you do a horse. They're trying, they're plowing. They they just want to wander around. You go, no, you're going to go straight because I got a bit in your mouth. I'll tell you where to go. God says, really? They're horses. They're mules. You're not dumb like that. Do I really have to lead you with a bit in your mouth by closing and opening doors? Can you spend time with me and know my will? Can you, get a, have you, can you learn to have a relationship with me and hear my wisdom? Or do I have to lead you like a horse? 
Because God knows what's best for us. He's the only one that knows the future. He alone can, is the only one that can orchestrate our lives. But here's the upside. That takes the fear out of making decisions. I'm not the coach anymore. I'm just a player. All I have to do is run the play. The coach is in charge of the game. The coach is in charge of the outcome. I'm not in charge of the outcome of the game anymore. All I have to do is run the play that he gives me. And I'll run that play as best I can, but I'm not responsible for the outcome. When I, when I begin to get this, I begin to understand that this is where the, the, the biblical giants that we see in the, the Bible get their power. Because remember all those verses that we talked about last week that I, that I didn't have a chance to really get into because of time? All those verses that said, uh, ask and, and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, and ask this mountain to be moved and I'll move it. Remember all those verses that we went through? And we've taken those out of context all of our lives and we've gone to God because we want that car. <laughs> and God, you said if I ask for anything in your name, you'd give it to me. And we've misused those. We've, we've abused those. I'll tell you where those verses do play. And I'll tell you who he was talking to. He was talking to his disciples. He was talking to the very men who were going to change history. He was talking to the very men who knew that he was the son of God. And were going to spread that word all over the world. And he was telling them, you're doing my will. And when you do my will, I will move mountains for you. You ask and I'll give it. If you need it, I'll supply it. You knock and it'll be open. That's who he was talking to. That's where those verses come from. And so now there is a power that comes to us in our lives. If we will quit trying to ask, if we'll quit trying to have our own agenda and ask God to bless it. You know what I'm talking about. You go to God and say, okay, God, well, <clears throat> I'm going to work today. And then I've got, uh, I've got that meeting at lunch. And then uh, we've, I've got the, the kids ball schedule after this and then i've got to meet with so and so and so that's my agenda so god i just ask that you bless me never once did you ask him what do you want me to accomplish today god what is the most important thing for me to do today all you've done was ask him to bless your agenda once we realize we don't need to be asking god to bless our agenda we need to be asking god what is his agenda then there's the power that comes in that because then we understand what God can do for us to accomplish His will. And if God tells you to do something, then He will make a way, even when it seems impossible. When you ask God, what is it you want me to do? And He tells you He wants you to overcome a mountain that you say, there's no way I can overcome that mountain. He said, you don't have to. I'll move the mountain. You just do what I'm asking you to do. There's power in that. That's where David fights Goliath. That's where Elijah can go up against all the, all the prophets of Baal and win because he knew what God told him to do. He was even arrogant about it. All these prophets of Baal were cutting themselves and screaming to the heavens, trying to get their God to listen and, and bring down fire on their altar. And Elijah's over here with the toothpick, picking his teeth and going, Hey, pour some water on mine. Did he not? He said, I don't mean a little bit. Pour, pour buckets, pour gallons, pour tubs. Soak it so that when my God hits it with fire, you'll know God hit it with fire. I mean, he's almost arrogant about it. How do you get that kind of confidence in God? He had never seen fire rain down from heaven and destroy an altar before. How do you get that kind of confidence? Because he knows when God sets you on a path, if he gives you the vision, he'll make the provision. He knew that God, that when we are in God's will, 
Nothing can stop us. We, we could storm the gates of hell with a water pistol, if that's what he tells us to do, because we know he'll give us the victory. Now, what do we do? All of us want to live in victory, and I understand that. But just like we have, for all of our lives, most of us as Christians have incorrectly defined what prayer looks like, I think that we have also improperly uh, decided what victory looks like. Can I show you a victory that doesn't look like a victory? Let's go to um, Acts chapter 16. Now, it's talking about Paul and Silas. Okay? Now, you guys know them, great men of faith and that kind of thing. And if you're not careful, you'll hear this story and you'll just discount it because they're great men of faith. I could never do that. They're not great men of faith any more than you are. They have the same power and the same resources that you do. They serve the same God that you do. But here's where we define victory differently than the way they define victory. When they had laid many stripes on them. Now, do you know why they were getting beaten with whips? Because they were really bad people who were uh, causing an uprising in the government and had stolen a bunch of stuff and uh, threatened to kill the emperor. Right? Is that why they were beating them? No. They were beating them because they had preached the gospel of Christ in the town square. That's all they had done. They arrest them and they beat them. Not for doing anything wrong, but for doing exactly what God asked them to do. Then they cast them into prison and they gave the jailer this charge that he, would, he had better keep them safely. Now you've got to understand the time span that we're in is the Roman time span. And if they gave that jailer a charge over these men that they should not escape, that means that if they escaped, they would kill him. Big deal. So the jailer, to cover himself, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison... And then put their, their feet fast in the stocks. So now, they're not in Caldwell County Detention Center. Okay? They don't have cable TV and all this other stuff. They're not even in the jail. You don't want to be in a Roman jail. They're not in a Roman jail. They're in the Roman dungeon. They're in the inner prison. There are no lights. There is no airflow. There is no bathrooms. There is no comfort. There is no bed. You sit on the rock floor with your feet in stocks. It's stinky and nasty and miserable. Now, what do you do with that? And why are they here again? Oh, because they did exactly what God asked them to do. Not because they did anything wrong. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. And all the prisoners heard them. Sang praises to God? Seriously. Okay, this is where we get the whole, they must be super saints. I'm not a super saint. That's what we think. But I'm going to tell you, by the time we finish this story, I want you to understand what God showed me in this and other passages. And I want you to begin to understand that you are a super saint. You have within you the power to make a decision to be the exact same super saint that these guys are looking like right now. Singing praises to God in the middle of a prison. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Okay. Two quick physics lessons for you. You have an earthquake, doors don't come open, they jam shut. The doors are already shut, the whole building settles. Now you can't get the doors open. The doors don't go fling open. Okay? And there's nothing about an earthquake that makes steel bands fall off your arms. Okay? This is a miracle. Flat out miracle. Let's go to the next slide. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, because the earthquake will do that to you, it'll wake you up, and he's kind of rubbing his eyes, and he realizes that the doors are open and everything, and seeing that the prison doors were open, he drew out his sword and he was going to kill himself. Why? Because killing yourself was a whole lot easier than the way the Romans would kill you. They were mean. He was going to kill himself. But Paul cries out in a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. We're all here. Now, see, I've read this story a thousand times, and there's so many little things in it that I never saw before. He says, We're all here. Not just Paul and Silas. All here. Nobody's escaped. Nobody ran for it. Now, see, this is where prior to this study and prior to me getting to practice this in my own life, this is where I would have been different. God would have said, go preach the gospel in the town square. And I said, "Uh, okay, but you realize that's really dangerous, right? I know, it's dangerous, but go preach my word. Okay, okay, I got it. And then I get arrested for it and beat for it and thrown in prison, not just prison, the dungeon for it? Really? This is the best you got for me? Seriously. I do your will and this is the thanks I get. No good deed goes unpunished, I guess. Oh, thank you a whole lot for that, God. That's what I'd have been. I'd have been up against the wall and mad. And said, you're going to get me out of here? Or you're just going to let me rot in here? And then the earthquake would have come and my chains would have fallen off. And I'd go, it's about time. And out the door, I'd have gone. So have y'all. Not after today, but prior to today, you would have. They knew that they were in the will of God. They knew that they were preaching God's will because God told them to. So they knew that if this was the consequence, God was in this too. If he told them to, if he told them to preach and then he allowed them to be captured, then he's got a purpose in that. They knew that. They were just singing praises, waiting on something to happen. They didn't even know what was going to happen. That was so contagious, that kind of an attitude of praise and gratitude in the midst of bad circumstances was so contagious that when the doors fell off and the the doors opened and the chains fell off, not only did they not run, the other prisoners didn't even run. They're sitting around going, we're going to see what's happening next. These guys are crazy. Because it said, we're all here. Not a single prisoner. Now, this is the dungeon. This is not the nice guys. This is not the, well, we probably shouldn't leave because that's against the rules. This is the dungeon. This is the mean guys. None of them left. We don't get to know what happened to them. But I got, they were impacted already by Paul and Silas. So Paul cries out and says with a loud voice, do yourself no harm. We're all here. So the, prison, so the jailer calls for a light. He sprang in. He came trembling. He falls down before Paul and Silas and says, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? 
He sees them unjustly charged, unjustly beaten, and unjustly put in a prison. And he sees them in the midst of an awful, terrible situation, praising God, having a peace that he doesn't even understand. And he falls before them and says, i got to have that peace. i got to know what that's like. What do I have to do to be saved? I would have been the one out the door and nobody would have been saved on my account and the rest of the prisoners would have probably escaped and this guy would have died because I would have made absolutely no difference at all in that same situation years ago until I learned this lesson. They tell him about Christ. He takes them home. The jailer washes them up and Paul and Silas lead his whole family to Christ. Now there's a whole family family going to heaven for all of eternity because of the way that they handled a dire situation. Do you understand? There's a whole fa- All of eternity has been changed forever. This family will go to heaven and we'll meet them there someday. Probably hanging right around Paul because he's just crazy like that. And we'll meet them someday because they're going to be in heaven for all of eternity. Why? Not because Paul was beaten and not because of he was in the prison, but because of the way he handled that situation. See, we define victory as got a little bit of money in the bank, riding on some pretty cool wheels, got a comfortable house, kids are doing all right, I'm doing all right. Right? That's success for most Americans. I'm comfortable. Just want to be comfortable. Don't shake my boat. Just, I'm comfortable. Don't mess me up. This is how I define victory now. This is the way that I want you to define victory. I want you to define victory because of the fact that not that you avoided all conflict in your life, but in spite of the conflict, you handled the conflict in such a way that you impacted the lives of everybody around you. That is success. And that is the kind of thing that will give you glory and honor and a crown of righteousness when you get to heaven because all of this stuff that you earn here stays here. This is the way that we have treasures in heaven. So I need you to ask yourself, if you're in a situation, in a crowd this big, listen, two-thirds of you are in some sort of a situation that's very uncomfortable. Maybe not just uncomfortable, maybe desperate. I know that. So ask yourself, how can I be a testimony for Christ in this situation? Spend a few days, instead of asking God to deliver you from your situation, spend a few days and ask God, how can I be a testimony? In this situation. How can I make an impact in the lives of others. In this situation. Then the next thing that you can ask him. Is you say God. What, what else do I need to learn. Because sometimes we're in situations. Because God needs to teach us something. Do you realize that before David. Ever fought Goliath. That he had to fight a lion. And a bear? See, we don't talk about that. That's not even on the flannel graph in vacation Bible school. Okay? The lion and the bear thing. I think that's pretty cool. Little 
teenage kid killing a lion and a bear. Okay? We, don't hear, we hear about Goliath. Before he ever got to Goliath, he was already taught lessons in the wilderness how to fight a lion and how to fight a bear, how to fight with the power of God behind him and a confidence that knows that God's going to take care of him. Then God set him loose on Goliath. So in your situation, what is it that you can learn? What is it that he needs to teach you? Because you can say to yourself, Okay, Lord, I need to know what, you can, what I can accomplish or what part of my testimony I can show in this situation. And I want to know what I can learn in this situation. Because maybe when I learn my lesson, maybe when I learn whatever it is that I need to learn, you'll deliver me from this. Because you know what? Once Paul and Silas had made the impact on the jailer and all the other prisoners that they needed to make, guess what? God opened the doors. Sometimes we're in this situation because we need to learn something. Sometimes we're in this situation because it is going to affect our testimony to those around us. And then once we accomplish that, God can open the doors and deliver us. He can move mountains on our behalf at that point. Third thing is what else do I need to accomplish? How can I be a testimony, Christ, in this situation? What else do I need to learn and what else do I need to accomplish? I can't tell you how many stories I've had where people have told me they were in a bad situation at work and they hated it. And I've had jobs that I hated. I mean, I had jobs that I would get sick on Sunday night because I dreaded Monday that bad. Okay? I know, I know what that's like. And, I know, and then there are people who have that. And I would encourage them, listen, God doesn't want you to be miserable forever. He wants you to stand strong in that circumstance. And in the meantime, be asking, how can I be a testimony? What can I learn? And what needs to be accomplished? Who around you needs Christ? Who is it that possibly God has got you there because you are the point man for that person's salvation? You are the one that they'll listen to because you're the one that works with them. You're the only one. They're not going to go to church. They're not going to hear it from a preacher. You are the one that can share Christ with them. And he can't let you out of that job until you accomplish that. Who is it? What else do I need to accomplish? Have your goal, have your vision, have your goal set on what do I need to accomplish for Christ instead of I'm so uncomfortable. God, just make me comfortable again. Just give me what I want. I don't really care about accomplishing anything else. I don't really care about saving people. I don't even care if anybody goes to heaven. I just want to be comfortable. None of you, none of you, please tell me, none of you would ever say that. But that's exactly what you're doing. Without realizing it, if you're not careful, that's exactly what you're doing. You just want out of your situation. And you're not even, your eyes aren't even open until today. Your eyes aren't even open to the fact that you could have an impact and change all of eternity for somebody because of the situation you're in. Now, you know, I, can, I have impacted people when I was on the mountaintop. And I have impacted people when I was in the valley and probably on both sides of the mountain. But the truth is... When I walk around smiling and I walk around with praise on my lips and I walk around thanking God and being happy and I've got a pretty good bank account and i got a pretty nice car and i got a pretty wife and my kids are doing pretty good, then everybody's going, well, duh. Yeah, if I had your life, I'd smile all the time too. But when I'm in the inner prison, when my life's upside down, when we get a bad report from the doctor... When our finances are all taken away, 
when our life is on the rocks and we're still smiling and we're still praising God and we still say, you know what? It's not fun, but God's got this covered. He's got me. I know he loves me and there's a reason for this and I will endure it. What else do I need to learn? It is like the rest of those jailers, the rest of those prisoners in that dungeon. People will see that and they want that. We are living in a world of people who have nice stuff and they're empty. And rich people committing suicide because there's nothing in this life that is fulfilling. But Christ, we have that. So although I can reach people when I'm on the mountaintop, I reach a lot more people when I'm in the valley. If you're in the valley, shine in the valley. God will deliver you from the valley in time. But while you're in the valley, shine in the valley. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, little s, your spirit, which are God's. The price that he paid was a lot. It was his own son who died for you so that you could have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, so that you could have this kind of victory that I'm talking about, so that you could have this kind of confidence to overcome that I'm talking about. But it came with a great price. But you know what? That means you, are, you have worth. That means he saw you as worthy, as valuable to him. Now, some of us don't feel very valuable because we don't seem to see all the good we've done. We just see all the mistakes we've made. We don't see the things that God has used us for. We just see the, the things that we've screwed up. But God says, you're valuable. You are worth something. You're worth so much that I'll pay a very high price for you in my son. The secret. Everybody wants the secret. That's the reason I put the title of my book is The Secrets to Meaningful Prayer. Because everybody goes, ooh, secrets. Like secrets. The secret to joy and peace and fulfillment in your life is to seek God's advice and His plan and His wisdom. To get your eyes off of your own agenda and live in the power and the victory of His agenda. I'm going to show you something else. Go to Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Now, again, this is another Bible story that everybody knows since Vacation Bible School. I did too. Read it a hundred times. And then in the, as God's processing all of this stuff, and I'm trying to understand prayer, and I'm wanting to live in victory, and I'm, and I'm, wanting, to, I'm wanting to be His man. I, I'm, I want it to be to where when I die, the world is a different place because I lived here. I, when I die, I want it to be that people are going to heaven that may not have gone if I wasn't here. I'm wanting to accomplish that. And it's kind of in that vein that God's teaching me that I read this. And I read it in a different way, evidently. Than, and God just kind of opened my eyes to something that I had never seen before. Even though, Because everybody knows the story about the Red Sea where the children of Israel uh, kind of get cornered. And the, and the Egyptians are coming. And God opens the Red Sea and the water goes, and they walk through on dry land, right? Everybody knows that story. Most everybody knows that story from Vacation Bible School. I wish I had time to make it, do a whole Sunday just on, on that. It's very cool. Here's the part that I missed. Because I'm kind of assuming that most everybody knows the this, this story. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell this to the children of Israel. 
that they turn and encamp before some town with a really funky name between Migdal and the sea over against some other town with a long name. And what that does is that tells us on a map where they were at. Okay? And where they were at is on a peninsula cornered between two mountains with a pass in between. Okay? And Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land and their wilderness has shut them in. In other words, they've been wandering around the desert for a few days now. They're kind of going a little loopy because now they got themselves cornered. They're on a peninsula, two mountains. They can't get out. That's what Pharaoh's going to say. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will follow after them. Got that part. Remember that. Missed this whole next phrase. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all of his host and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God put them in an unwinnable situation. God put them in a situation that they could not escape. He put them in a peninsula with mountains. And the Egyptians are coming. Now, this is a little footnote, and I don't have time for too much of it. So, but don't buy into this whole Discovery Channel thing about the Sea of Reeds stuff. Well, it probably wasn't the Red Sea. It was probably just the Sea of Reeds, because Sea of Reeds and, and the Red Sea looks a lot alike in the Hebrew. And, and so probably God just sent the wind, and it blew the air, you know, and the ground dried, and they walked across it on the crust. Don't buy that. That's a bunch of secular, humanistic people trying to explain away God's miracle that they can't explain any other way. Because I'll tell you what happened to the real Red Sea. And I'll tell you how you can know that it was the real Red Sea. And it's in the scriptures. It says that as soon as they passed through on dry land, that the entire uh, Egyptian army followed them, charged in after them. And when God closed the sea, it drowned Every single one of them, man and animal. You don't do that in a marsh. This was the Red Sea. The danger is imminent. They are cornered. Do you think that they are cornered because God didn't see this one coming? God said, oh, I forgot to tell Moses you should have took a left two days ago. Now what am I going to do? Do you think God got caught off guard? He didn't get caught off guard. He said he put them there on purpose. Why? So that he would be glorified. The Egyptians worshipped many gods. And one of the gods that they worshipped was the Pharaoh. He was, the, he was a god. That's how they worshipped him. God said, I'll show them who's God. But you know what it's going to take? It's going to take my children being in a predicament that they can absolutely not win without me. And then I will part the Red Sea in a way that no human could possibly part the Red Sea. And they will escape. And I will kill all their enemies on top of that. So that I will be honored above the Pharaohs. So that I will be, have glory. So my question to you. And my question to myself. Is am I living in a way that's worthy of showing his glory? Am I living in a way that's worth? Paul and Silas lived in a way that was worthy of showing his glory because in the midst of a dire situation, they praised God. 
They believed in God. They didn't question God. They, didn't, they just praised Him. And they were worthy. God counted them worthy of, of showing His glory. And an entire family and quite possibly the other prisoners that were with them all go to heaven for all of eternity because of it. Am I living in the midst of my upside down turmoil broken life? Am I living in a way with victory and praise on my, on my lips constantly for God? Am I living in a way that's worthy of carrying God's glory? Man, that's what I want. Wow, that's what I want. I want that more than I want comfort. I want that more than I want money in the bank. I want that kind of victory. I want that kind of peace. I want to know like David and and Elijah and Stephen and Paul and Silas. I want to know what it's like to live in that kind of power and victory. I want to be worthy of showing God's glory. I think a lot of us have given up on prayer because we didn't get what we wanted. Maybe we misunderstood God's timing. Maybe we thought He didn't hear us. Maybe we've grown up believing that if we do everything right and we follow God's will, that everything would be easy because we have defined success incorrectly. None of us would define success as being beaten and thrown into a prison until today. And it's not the prison that's the success. It's the outcome. It's, it's, it's what happens when people are saved and all of eternity's changed. That's where the success is at. We're so busy looking at, at, at our situation that we think that we're living in defeat. When God wants to use that for success and victory. So here's the really hard question. Remember how last week we had a really hard question? I got another hard question. This is where the rubber meets the road. If you're in a situation like that, or in the future you find yourself in a situation like that, if you're offered the chance to get out of that situation or to make an impact in the life of somebody else, what's your choice? If God says, I want to use you, and I want to use you mightily. I want to use you to reach people that will not be reached any other way. I want you to change eternity for somebody else. But it's going to stink in the meantime for you. They're going to have to see you go through stuff that's not going to be fun. But I'm in charge of the outcome. And I'm telling you, if you're willing to do it, all of eternity can be changed because of you. But if you don't want to, that's okay. If God was to give you that kind of option, what would you choose? That's the hard question. Would you choose comfort over somebody else's eternity? Would you choose... Okay, thanks. Thanks for the option. I I opt out. I want it. I hate it for those other people. I hate it that they're not going to heaven and... And, and all of that, but maybe you can send somebody else to them. Don't we have missionaries that aren't doing anything? Just send them. Uh, I don't want it. 
Will you opt out? Or will you say, if God gives me the vision, then God will give me the provision. If God puts me in a situation, God will see me through the situation. If God wants me to walk into the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then he has the ability to bring me out of the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. Everything that I gain on this earth is going to stay on this earth, so God, give me the opportunity to build up riches in heaven. Yeah, go ahead, send me. I can do this. That's the hard question. Are you just in this to get out of it what you can get out of it? This whole Christian life, this whole Christian walk thing, are you just in it to get what you can out of it? And if you're offered the chance to get out of your current situation or to make an impact in the life of somebody else, what's your call? That's a hard question. I've been faced with that before. Honestly, I believe, uh, there was a time in prayer, I honestly believe that God gave me the option. I was in a miserable situation. Oh, my word. It's the worst time of my life. Miserable. And I had complained and I had griped so much to God in prayer that I honestly believe that he gave me the option to opt out. And when he did, he said, what do you want? I went, And my mind starts reeling. What do I want? Exactly, what do I want? Do I want more money or do I want less stress? Or what do I want everything like, like it, back like it was? What, what is it I want? And it dawned on me. I don't want anything as bad as I want God's will. Because I'm, I'm kind of afraid to live anywhere else. <laughs> so I said, God, I just, I just want your will. So I'm asking you, given the chance to opt out, are you going to opt out? Because God may give you that. He may, he may come to you and say, listen, I'm tired of hearing you whine. <laughs> if you want to opt out, I'll let you opt out. Are you going to opt out? Or are you going to make an impact on somebody's life that will be forever? Because I believe that as Christians, we can endure great trials as long as we feel like there's purpose and meaning in it. Where we begin to stumble and where we begin to falter is when we've, when we've lost our purpose and meaning. When we think that this is, just, it's just, just, this is just bad for the sake of being bad. I don't see how any good can come out of this. and This is just miserable. That's when we lose hope. But time and time and time and time again, New Testament and Old Testament, we see in the Word of God, it is never lost on God. Our situations and our, and our down times and our struggle, never lost on God. He can always work good. Out of that bad situation. Matthew 6.33 says this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all of these other things will be added to you. That's totally backwards. Because what we do is we seek first all these other things. And then once we get all that into place. We'll seek the kingdom of God. That's not what it says. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all of these other things will be added to you. So here's your homework. It's a little easier than last week's homework. I want you to ask God how he can use your situation for his kingdom and his glory. For once. (laughs) For many of you, for once, for the first time, go to God in prayer Quit asking him to change your situation and ask him, God, how can you use my situation for your kingdom and your glory? Because I want to live in that kind of victory. I want to live in that kind of peace. 
I want to live with that kind of power in my life. I want to live without fear again. I want to live in a way that makes a difference when I'm gone. I want to live in a way that makes you proud of me while I'm here so that when I get to heaven, you can say, well done. You are a good and faithful servant. So ask God how he can use your situation. Let's stand. We're going to have a time of decision. And they're going to play music. Unless they all, unless I put them all to sleep and they didn't realize I'm standing up. We're going to play some music and this is going to be a time of decision. For some of you, you need to, for the first time, some of you have been saved for a long time and for the first time you need to get on your knees at the altar and you need to ask God, you need to apologize to God for the whining and complaining that you've done for all of your Christian life and say, God, I just didn't understand. And he'll forgive. Some of you need to say, I want that kind of power. I want to live in that kind of victory. So God, show me how I can live in that kind of victory. Some of you will need to say, God, I don't want to opt out anymore. God, I've been asking for a long time that you would get me out of this situation. Just show me what I can learn and show me how I can make an impact because I don't want to opt out anymore. I understand how important it is. Whatever that decision is, now's the time to do that. If you can do, you can do that where you're standing, you can do that at the altar. You can talk to me if you want to. It doesn't matter. Then there's another group of people in here who may have never accepted Christ as their Savior. And the fact that you know that Jesus died on the cross is not enough because the demons know that Jesus died on the cross, but they're not going to heaven. The difference is, when we use our free will, when we choose to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, when we say, I know I sin, and we ask Jesus to forgive us, that's what makes the difference. And if some of you have never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, then it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. And it doesn't matter how good you are. So today could be the day that you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Otherwise, you will never know the peace and the power that I'm talking about living in today. It's your turn to make a decision. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.